0: All right, good evening everybody. We are diving back into another era of our Moses study. The first era was Moses in Egypt growing up, and we talked about that era. That was 40 years, and then we spent another couple of weeks talking about his time in Midian, which spanned another 40 years of his life. Now we're, now we're starting this new era in Egypt, uh, as Moses is about 80 years old, and it takes place according to Exodus chapter 4: 19 after all the people who wanted to kill Moses are dead now if, if you weren't listening um, he murdered this Egyptian and he went on a run for his life it wasn't just the Pharaoh the Bible is clear it wasn't just Pharaoh that wanted Moses dead there was many people who wanted him dead at this moment all of those people are now are now dead and you can you can think okay of uh, was it just Pharaoh that wanted him dead? Or maybe all these other wannabe Pharaohs or aspiring Pharaohs. Like, let's get this famous hero prince out of here and let's get him dealt, uh, done with. Here's a picture for you. Uh, this is a picture where the pharaoh that we had been talking about last time, Canaferre, uh, the, the, the adopted stepfather of Moses, where he was buried. This is um, near his primary residence in Luxor. Actually, many pharaohs were buried here of this time period. He has a statue here, Canaferi does. If you want to Google more about what this complex looked like, there's some pretty cool features about it. You would Google S-10 Abydos. Uh, A B Y D O S. Of course, that's what you would think. That's that's what you're going to Google. So you can you can go and see see more pictures about that. But that's where Canaferi was entombed. Now, we're moving on from some of those names that we had talked about earlier in our study. There was four names that you're probably familiar with. If you were listening from the beginning, we had talked about Canaferi, which is the pharaoh, which uh, which was part of adopting Moses and Moses was raised in his home. We also talked about princess merit right princess merit who had adopted pharaoh and she had defied her father who had made this command Uh, his her father's name was Pengenu, and maybe you remember that name so Pengenu, princess merit and keneferi and then we also talked about a fourth person who was a historian by the name of artapanis and how artapanis was writing the jewish the history of the jewish people in egypt and we saw some material from him okay So those four people, they were a part of our study and now they're kind of moving on. We're now 40 years later in our study and we're gonna talk about three different people in this next era a pharaoh a sage and a priest it sounds like a sort of a joke but yeah we're, we're gonna be talking about uh, those uh, three different people but before I name them and before I talk about them let's just catch up because we've been away from Egypt for 40 years we've been in Midian uh, Moses was there as a shepherd for that period of time um, what has happened what has happened in Egypt during this 40 years well according to the Royal Canon of Turin, which we've talked about just about every week, but here's a picture of it. The whole r- remains of it is the long narrow bit, and then we have one zoomed in bit of the scroll. But basically, the Royal Canon of Turin, which is, um, it's, it's written in columns, uh, going from right to left. So you've got these columns of, of the king's names and their dates. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to read from that distance <laughs> uh, and and an egyptian but yeah that's what's going on here and so it, it again it's it's not in great shape but there's definitely things that we can we can tell even if some names are missing we are looking at column think of it as 10 columns i think it's 10 columns so we're at columns end of column 6 and then mostly column 7 if you're kind of thinking about where we're at, where we're at on this uh, royal canon and basically what we discover is there is a, there is about 21 names between Canaferi and the pharaoh of the Exodus. So there, there's 21 names, and even if they're not all listed, there's nine of them that are completely gone, but we can just tell by the spacing. So we've had some 21 very short-lived pharaohs during this time. The longest reigning pharaoh in that 40-year period is that Meneferi. That, that guy. Um, he was, he was um, pharaoh for Either thirteen years or twenty-three years, depending on if you think that that was an intentional dot or an erosion mark on the scroll. Right? It's 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 one of those it's one of those things. But he was there. He was the longest pharaoh of that time period. But then finally we get to the pharaoh of the Exodus, which is this guy down at the bottom, and all that's left on the scroll is M O U S E. No M. O-S-E, Mose. Mose. And, and we know though that, that his full name is Dudamos. And the reason why we know it is because there's only one Pharaoh that his, whose letters are M-O-S-E at the end. So we know that this is the guy. Dudamos is the Pharaoh of the Exodus. And, and that's where he's at in the royal canon of, of, um, of Turin. Now you're you're thinking to yourself, okay, that was very boldly said, Brian. Thank you. You, you said it with such conviction, it must be true. Well, there's 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 more to it than just the conviction of my voice. How do we know that it that it's this guy, Dudamos? Because uh, after Dudamos, there's another ten Egyptian pharaohs, very, very, very short-lived afterwards. But during his reign, dudamos' reign, Egypt shatters. It, it has it completely collapses very suddenly, and it's the only collapse in, the th- in a thousand years. You've got a thousand year history there, and at one moment during Tutmosis's D- 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 reign, that it just completely collapses. A- and what happens? What happens? Well, Tutmosis, being the Pharaoh, one of the three names that we're going to be talking about, is written about by this, the second name that we're going to be talking about, this guy named Manetho. Manetho. Now, Manetho is basically the Arta of this study. Now, wow! If I, I can hear myself, sorry. I'll, I'll just I'll slow it down a little bit. Manetho. Manetho is a priest of one of the one of the um, gods of Egypt. He is a historian, and here's a picture of his writing. Um, as you can totally tell, that's Greek, not Egyptian. Of course, we, we're, we're we're becoming um, scholars. No. Uh, so that he writes in Greek, and his story is basically the same, his name is Artapanis. Um, the story is Alexander the Great, kind of a famous person, uh, takes over mm, Egypt and other places. And then he dies in Babylon on the 9th of June 323 BC. After he dies, his generals divide the empire into four pieces, and the Ptolemies, they get Egypt. And so this is around, you know, three to something uh, in that zone. And when the Ptolemies get there, they commission all these people to write for them the history of Egypt, this land that they're now in charge of. And so one of the guys is Artapanus, and he writes the history of the Jewish people in Egypt. Another guy is Manetho. And Manetho is an Egyptian. He's an Egyptian priest and historian, and he writes the history of Egypt from the Egyptian perspective as an Egyptian writing about their story uh, and and so that's that's where where he is and and where this uh, document comes from in his Manethos' history of Egypt again this guy is not a Christian he is not a Jewish person he is an Egyptian writing uh, 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 the story from the Egyptians perspective he writes about this moment of collapse that only moment of collapse in the thousand-year history and he says, this is what happened during Deutamos' reign. Again, as an Egyptian priest, this is his word choice. He writes this, I quote, but translate it into English. Otherwise, it would be a weird quote. <laughs> he writes this, uh, Tautimaos, Tutuma- which is the Greek name for Dudemos, because it's, again, it's written in Greek, but uh, Dudamos, eh? In his reign, for what cause I know not, God smote us, the Egyptians, God smote us, that was his explanation, in his reign, for what cause, I know not, God smote us, and so then that takes place, and then he's going to write about what happened later, after they were smote, smoted, uh, And, unexpectedly, from the regions of the east, invaders of obscure race marched in confidence of victory against our land. By main force, they easily seized it without striking a blow. And having overpowered the rulers of the land, they then burned our cities ruthlessly, razed to the ground the temples of the gods, and treated all the natives with a cruel hostility, massacring some and leading into slavery the wives and children of others." Now, some very important things to note about this this quote, it does not say, the gods smote us. It's not talking about the gods. This pagan priest is very clear. One god. God smote Egypt. God's mighty, that and that smiting, <laughs> that smiting of the mighty smiter, <laughs> that, that smiter, he, he he it so devastated Egypt, says the Egyptian priest, that you end up having the which we now call the Hyksos invaders, the Hyksos rulers, that these these foreign invaders were able to march into a completely shattered and devastated Egypt without without a single battle, without according to the Egyptian. With, without without a single yeah without a single without striking a blow it says and they they took over and, and then they they led egypt for for uh, many eras but do you see I mean just stepping out of the story for a second i I see God's justice again this isn't in the Bible here but I see the goodness of God from this Egyptian s- perspective you know the irony you know God's people had been had been uh, in in high le- levels of leadership and prosperity in Egypt, and then the native Egyptians uh, confiscated everything, made them slaves, treated them ruthlessly, killed many of them, in- in- including the, the the baby boys, and 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 just were, were awful to them. And then, God smote them. And then, what happens? Foreign invaders come in and do the same thing to the Egyptians that the Egyptians did to God's people. They enslave them, they, they they kill some of them, and they, uh, they they just treat them ruthlessly. There's just such a, God is so just. He, he, is, he is so good and he's just he's paying attention. And and although it may take some time. Uh, Justice is going to happen. Anyway, so uh, that's that's free. Manetho is this Egyptian historian, and he's, we'll just keep this tucked in our brain, he's the one that writes about one God smiting the Egyptians during the reign of Didymos as the explanation for the complete collapse that takes place in Egypt. The third guy that I want to talk about, and and I'm actually not going to say anything about him today, but we're going to spend a lot more time on him in the next couple weeks, he he is the Egyptian sage named Ipuer, Ipur. I-P, uh, where are we at here in my notes, I-P-U-W-E-R, Ipuer. Now Ipuer is a massive deal, and I'll talk more about this in a bit, but he is an Egyptian sa- sage, so like, uh, think magi, think wise man, uh, think, think, you know, like Daniel, um, chief of the magi, or think, you know, th- as you're reading about the, the leadership in in Exodus, like the, the the magicians, like that that group of people, he's he's one of those group of peoples, and he is writing about the plagues of Egypt as an eyewitness from the, the Egyptian leadership perspective. It's amazing how he writes all the way through these plagues, and we're gonna we're gonna see this. But he so we're, we have this guy Ipuwer who's writing as an eyewitness sage, a white eyewitness uh, Egyptian to this uh, this thing. Now here's a. A copy uh, a picture of his writings, admonitions of a Egyptian sage uh clearly that's now back to egyptian so that's that's good we're back in the, we're back in the right language, but again, writing as an eyewitness and we'll talk about the validity of this uh in a in a week or two uh, since I said it we will uh anyway, so those are the three those are the three uh names that we're going to be focused on dudamos uh dumose and Ipuer and Manetho; Those are some names that we're going to be coming back to more and more in our study. But right now what I want to do is I want to just put that aside. And we'll just be like, yay, that was super fun. And now let's look at the Bible. And, and just see what the Bible says about this time now that Moses has returned. After, all, after 40 years and he's returned to Egypt. What happens? Okay. Chapter 5 is where I'm picking up. Starting in verse 1. Moses confronts Pharaoh Dedumose. Later, says verse 1, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh, and and every time in my Bible the word, the right word, the the original word is God's actual name, I will say Yahweh. Just so it it will actually make more sense uh, going through it. Um, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is Yahweh? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. And besides, I will not let Israel go. So okay, you, you got Pharaoh here, and and he's like, well, "Who is Yahweh? I, I I don't know this guy. I don't know this Yahweh." So you've got this Pharaoh. He knows the names of all the gods of the area. I mean, he knows the gods of Canaan and Babylon and Persia and and. Kush and Libya. Okay, I don't even need it. He knows the other gods of of the countries, but like this one, he doesn't know this name. In fact, actually, as we keep reading, you might pick it up when I read it. I'll, I'm not going to comment on it, but but also this is it's very clear in this passage that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, are only now learning God's name. Abraham didn't get to hear this, so it is a new a new uh, name for these people to know, and and it's, but it starts off with. Who is this Yahweh? Um, I'll show you the, I said I would, I'll show you uh, the oldest, the oldest inscription, the oldest anything that has the name Yahweh on it ever yet discovered, and it's, it's here on this, on this pillar. So um, where we're at, we are at, in southern Egypt at Soleb, and southern Egypt, now it's modern day Sudan, but at that time it was southern Egypt. Uh, the temple of Soleb, which is there, and there is this pillar. There's lots of stuff going on in this temple, but there is a pillar that has all these, like, lists of enemies of Egypt on it. And, and it, d- it describes them. And the one that you're looking at right there uh, me- names one of the enemies of Egypt, and, and, it, and it says the enemy of Egypt was Tas Sashu Yahweh. Tassashu Yahweh which basically means the shepherds of Yahweh, or the Bedouin of Yahweh. The Bedouin of Yahweh, or the, the, the shepherds of Yahweh, as, as the enemies of, of Egypt. Now, two things to note about this. There is some odd things about this inscription. Usually, it would say the shepherds of, and then a place name, the shepherds of Canaan, or the shepherds of Libya, or the shepherds of New York, or something like that. Um, and, and, and then, but here, it actually very uniquely puts in the name of, the, of God, of 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 this of this deity of these people the 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 shepherds or the the bedouin of yahweh very unique the the other thing is that you can see from this is that egyptians don't like yahweh they 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 do not they don't worship him they don't venerate him there's temples to foreign gods at this time all over egypt from nubia canaan libya like lots of foreign gods no, at this time, temples to Yahweh, uh, the God of the Bible. He is an enemy. He is not liked by the Egyptians, not worshipped, which makes sense if God, that Yahweh smote them, right? But he's not liked. So Pharaoh, though, he, he's, he's now going to learn who this Yahweh is. And, and Egypt will now forever remember the, the, the God of the, the Hebrews, uh, Yahweh, the God of the, the shepherds, the, the Bedouin people of Yahweh. All right. All uh, right. That was fun. Not very clear. I I could have put up a a reconstruction, but I thought you would like at least the original a little bit better. The reconstruction is more clear, but there you go. Bedouin of Yahweh. Okay, let's keep going in our study. Exodus 5. So, um, I will not let Israel go. Verse 3. They answered, Moses and Aaron... The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to Yahweh, our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. Very bad. Very bad, and the Egyptians are going to experience that. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from their labor. That day, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people, as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. Just fun historical picture for you. Um, straw and brick. Here you go. So this is just, uh, if they didn't put the straw in the brick, it's just going to crumble. The, the bricks are just going to crumble. This, is the, this adds the structure needed. I was listening to Cameron Imes, somebody that Kelly and I went to university with a long time ago, now an Old Testament professor at Prairie. And she was talking about brick making, uh, the things I listen to. What do you listen to? No, (laughs) I was just going to, I don't know, it was just random. And she was talking about the process of making bricks. And she reminded me that actually straw is only available a few weeks a year. Uh, just, just a few bits after the harvest comes out and before everything else happens. There, it's not like it's available in the fields year-round, just like, hey, we need some more straw, let's go get it. Very small windows, and it's valuable. If there's no straw, there's no building. And so if, if you've ever read this passage and thought, why is it that, the, that, why is it that the, the, the slaves aren't going out and getting the straw usually? Why are the Egyptians doing that? Okay, you have the slaves doing that, and if they don't want to work for a year, they just light the straw on fire, and there's no more building. There's no more bricks for, for a year. So the Egyptians are like, no, no, no. We're going to take the straw in. We're going to dole it out as it's needed, and, and that's, and that's going to be a way that we're going to make sure that nothing bad happens to, to um, our building of an empire or whatever. So... So uh, this is a particularly rough moment, and we're going to read more about this rough moment, where, where the Jewish people are told, okay, you need to go get your own straw. Now, let's just assume it's at a moment where there is still stuff in the field, and we're going to see that they don't just scatter into the neighbor. Neighboring areas they go through all Egypt looking for straw because the Egyptians have probably already gathered in most of it And they have it in their storage facilities and it's gonna be very hard to find Not only is it hard to find now if they can find it, it is about to get a lot worse in just a few weeks This is a very very awful moment for, for them Okay, let's just keep reading So verse 10 so the overseers and foremen of the people went out and said to them. This is what Pharaoh says I'm not giving you straw. Go get straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, finish your assigned work each day just as you did when the straw was provided. When the Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people were beaten Oh, then the Israelite foreman, who is Pharaoh, were beaten and asked, Why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foreman went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it's your own people who are at fault. But he said, You are slackers slackers that is why you are saying let us go sacrifice to Yahweh now get to work no straw will be given to you but you must produce the same quantity of bricks the Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks when they left Pharaoh they confronted Moses and Aaron who stood waiting to meet them May Yahweh take notice of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us wreak to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to Yahweh and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? and why did you ever send me ever since i went into pharaoh to speak in your name he has caused trouble for this people and you haven't rescued your people at all but the lord or but yahweh replied to moses now you will see what i will do to pharaoh because of a strong hand he will let them go and because of a strong hand he will drive them from his land I have something very important to say. If you will grab onto what I'm gonna say with both hands, and, and, and if you're just going if you will cling and remember this one truth all of your life, no matter if things go good or whether things are difficult, if you can keep this perspective as you go from, from here on, it will save you so much needless fear. So so much needless grief. So much needless spiritual freaking outs. This is what I want you to remember forever. Very often, when God is on the move, very often things get worse before they get better. I'm just going to say that again. When God is on the move, very often things get worse before they get better. The Hebrews are in this multi-generational, awful, evil slavery, and still it gets much worse before it gets better. God knows that their path to freedom is going to go down before it goes up. And I say this all the time, down before up, down before up, down before up. Moses is having a bit of a faith crisis here. Lord, why? Why? The leaders, the foremen are definitely having a faith crisis. They were excited about God's hearing of them in chapter 4. Now they are cursing Moses. They, They are totally in this faith crisis. Moses is like, Lord, why this trouble? It's gotten worse and you haven't rescued your people at all. this is so normal in the Bible and it's so normal in life when God is on the move very often down to go up down to go up very often pain and disappointment increases before God's promises are fulfilled want some examples how about Joseph Joseph finds out that he, he's gonna, that his family is going to worship him and bow down to him, and he's going to have this great, glorious future, but his path is down before up, and he, and he goes into sold as a slave, and then he gets thrown into prison 13 years. It's not like just down for a few weeks and then up. 13 years down before up. He has God's promises down before up. Um, somebody else, David. David gets anointed king. He gets the oil poured on him. And, and yet years go by, and many of those years he's on the run for his life, being hunted by the king Saul, who, Saul who gets very close, sometimes they're in the same cave, very close to him, uh, and, and you, you've got this crisis down before up. Eventually, though, he gets to what God has promised him, down before up. Paul is beaten in, in prison and imprisoned he's, and he's, he's going through that before seeing revivals breaking out in cities and in, 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 in areas. This down before up, Jesus is tortured and crucified before he raises from the dead. Down to go up, if you were listening to our study last year on the book of Revelation, it's a very big down before a massive glorious up. All through the Bible, cover to cover, you see this repeated, very often, not always, but very often reality that when God is on the move, very often things go down before they go up. And maybe you've experienced this in your life, maybe you've seen it before, maybe you've seen before there has been freedom or breakthrough or things like that. Things have gotten worse and you've been wanting to freak out before then they, they kind of turn back around and, and they get good. Maybe you are praying for somebody and, and you're praying that they would turn towards God and instead they, they take make awful decisions and they just tank their life for a while before they turn back to God. Or maybe you've been praying about a relationship, a healing in a relationship, and it just gets worse and it gets uglier before it ever starts moving back together. Or maybe, you know, just you've been praying and you've had this, God, answer this prayer, answer this prayer, and then something happens and the prayer seems... It wasn't likely before, now it seems even less likely. It's like moving away from that and and what you hope for. It is a real faith test. It is a real faith test to trust God when things go down before they go up. It's a major faith test. It often breaks our faith. It often breaks our faith. It breaks our trust. It breaks our hope in God, in Him doing what He said He would do, and in doing what He, he promised He would do, and doing what we thought that He said He was going to do for us. And I, I, I hope that you will remember this. I hope you remember this so that your faith won't fail in very common moments where things get worse before they get better. I hope that you'll remember this so that, that, when you, so that your trusting of God won't crumble. Right at the moment where things could be starting to turn around. So that your hope won't be crushed. Re- remember that it's often the sign. It is often the sign or the, the the evidence. It's often the evidence that God is on the move. When things go down. When things suddenly get worse. It's often the sign, the evidence. Before freedom, before breakthrough, before rescue, before your prayers are finally answered. Moses is like, why this trouble? Why this trouble? And then God says in, in chapter 6, verse 1, he's like, now you will see what I will do. Now you'll see what I do. And then we're going to go on and we're going to read God's response to Moses, Moses's kind of faith crisis here, and, and definitely the foreman's faith crisis. And we're going to see in, the, in these verses that there's this calling to stand firm in trusting him. And keep believing him, keep hoping that God will do what he says he will do. Let me keep reading. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, Yahweh. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, verse 6, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit. But they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from his hand. But but Moses said in Yahweh's presence, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Look, down to go up has broken the spirit of God's people. The fact that things got worse and not instantly better has broken the spirit of God's people. And so the result of them, their broken spirit, is that they wouldn't listen to God. I mean, yes, they can hear God. They hear what God is saying. They're able to actually hear from God, but they don't hear it in their hearts. They don't grab onto it. Signs of a broken spirit is is somebody, okay, I hear that God says something good about my future, but I'm not going to Believe it. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'll, we'll wait and see. Is a sign of a broken spirit. Okay, I hear you, God. We'll see if it happens. But I'm not going to grab on to it. I'm not going to take it as a, a worth a, a worthy word from God that I can I can base my life on. We'll see. That's a sign of a broken spirit. Not just doubt. Oh, God said that. No, I don't care. Sometimes it's just like I won't embrace it. Is a sign of a broken spirit. Even Moses is full of doubts here. You know, it, it, It's just worthless. We're back to that chapter 3, chapter 4, like, I, I'm such a poor speaker. I, I try, I can't, why, it, why should I even bother doing this? I can't do this. I've proven that. Guys, don't let downs break your spirit. Don't let downs break your spirit like this. Don't let the downs cause you to stop listening to God. Stop Stop believing what God is saying to you anymore. Don't don't let the downs stop you stepping out in faith Moses step out in faith go back and talk to Pharaoh again. Why would I even do that? I'm such a bad speaker. No, no, don't let the downs Stop you from stepping out in, in faith expecting God to help you. I, I bet this has happened to you before I bet you've had one of those moments where you've prayed and something got worse and so maybe you stopped praying because it only got worse or maybe you prayed for something and then, and then it didn't happen and then you're like, okay, I, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to care about God anymore because he didn't do this thing for me quick enough. Or maybe you stepped out in faith at some point, you thought God was going to help you at something and then he didn't help you that time and so you doubt that he'll help you next time. What, what was God's response here to this broken spirit people, to these people who, who are in a down Before the up. These people who are in this down who don't believe there's going to be an up. Well, he reminds them, which we just read, of his promises. And he reminds them of what he's already told them. See, the thing is, no matter how we feel, God's promises are not impacted by life going down. God's promises are not impacted by life getting worse before his promises are fulfilled. The trajectory of our lives has nothing to do with whether God is going to be fulfilling his promises or doing what he said he's gonna do. So we are called to keep our eyes off of the trajectory of our lives. Oh man, we are going down, it is getting worse, it is getting scary worse, it is getting much worse. We're supposed to get our eyes off of the trajectory of our life and keep them on his promises. What he has said, clinging to them as the truth that they are, things about freedom, and forgiveness, and rescue, and love, and, and all those sort of things. And, and here in this passage, God is trying to get Moses and, and these people's eyes off of their trajectory, that things are worse right now, that things are going, getting awful right now, and remind them of what he's told them. And verse 2, what does he tell them? He says, Look, okay, what, how do I start this? I am Yahweh. Let, let's just, I am Yahweh, which we talked about before. That means I am who I am. I am not changing. I'm not changing my mind. I'm not, I'm not changing my promises. Nothing in life, nothing that goes up or down in life, no, nothing that changes in life changes me. If I said it, it doesn't matter what changes here because I'm not changing. It's going to be. Whether things go up or whether things go down. I I am Yahweh. And then basically he says, you can trust me. You can trust me even in this down moment because, verse 4, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to keep it. Why can you trust me? Verse 5, because I've heard your pain. I've heard your groaning. Verse 5, I remember my covenant, and covenant is a big deal to God. The book of Hebrews tells us that we are in an even better covenant with better promises in Jesus. But the fact that he's in a covenant with these people, that's part of this. That's part of why we can trust him to keep his promises even though things are going getting worse before they get better. Verse 6, therefore... Because I am Yahweh, because I am who I am, because I am the I am, because I don't change. Verse 6, even though it's worse today, I will still rescue you. Even though it's worse today, I will still redeem you. Verse 6, verse 7, even though it's worse today, I will still take you as my special people. God's just going through this process. I'm not going to abandon you in this pain. I'm not going to leave you in this even worse place. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to leave you in this in this in this misery, because verse eight, I will keep all the promises I have ever made. That's amazing news, and God just highlights it. He like brings back and he's like, boom! This is this is amazing stuff, but. They don't believe them because of their broken spirit. Because of this down before they go up, they wouldn't listen to, to what God says here. And friends, don't let this be you. Don't let this be, be you. I, I, my hope is that, that you'll grasp this now. That you'll grasp is if life has really knocked you down and, and you feel like things are getting worse and maybe you've been praying and asking God for help or for rescue or for peace or whatever, don't let your circumstances break your spirit. Don't let your circumstances break your, don't let your, circumstances break your faith. Don't let them break your hope. Don't let them break your anything. Just keep on believing. Keep on believing. In fact, maybe if things get worse, maybe have more hope. Maybe you have more hope. Maybe you have a higher anticipation. Because it is so common throughout the pages of the Bible and in life that things, when God is on the move, things go down before they get, uh, get better. Things go down before they get up. Uh, so have hope. Maybe in this crisis moment of yours, in this moment where things are looking like they're going further th- than, you, than you ever wanted from God's work and God's rescue and God's answer of prayer... Maybe you're closer than you've ever been before in this moment. Maybe you're on the verge because so often it's down before up. It's so biblical. It's so like God. keep believing. Most of the rest of the chapter here is a genealogy and you can read that on your own. I would read it to you but you would only laugh at my reading of names, and instead I think I'll just let you have some nice pleasure reading later. Um, But the point of the genealogy here and its placement is found in verse 26 and verse 27. And the point of this genealogy is just to drive home that this is a true story, that this story is taking place with real people who really did live and whom God really did use to rescue the people of Israel from an awful slavery. And even though it got worse, Before it got better, and even though the process was painful and at the times Moses seems to lose hope, the the Israelite leaders lose hope, the foremen uh, lose hope, God still kept His promises to them and rescued them as He said that He would. Now we'll pick up here next week, but for now, I know that some of you just really needed to hear this. You really needed to hear that because life has been awful, and, or if it's not now, it's been in the past, and maybe at some point your spirit has broken because things got worse instead of getting better, and so, so now you don't trust the words of God, the, the encouraging words of God to you anymore, or or you might hear them, but you'll just keep them at a distance, and you're no longer willing to grab on to what God says because you've been disappointed, because it's gotten worse, because it's been painful. Maybe you've stopped trusting that God is with you. Maybe you've stopped trusting that God is going to help you, doubting that all the good that God has spoken about you, if you trust Him, uh, will be true. Here's my challenge for you today. My challenge for you today is remember. Remember what God has said to you. I'm thinking about the promises that he's made in the Bible. And anything that you feel like God has said to you, remember, hopefully you have a journal. Uh, you're you're going to, if you don't write down what God says to you, you are going to be on the non-growth track of faith. I'm just going to throw that out there as a nice, friendly comment there. Uh, you, if you feel like God's speaking to you, you want to write that down. And hold on to that, because God's words are often spoken in invisible ink. And we quickly forget. So I hope that you have a journal, and so go ahead and write all that down, or go back and open up your journal, and and look and see what God has told you in the past, maybe things that you've forgotten. If you don't have a journal, open one up and start writing for for the sake of your future. Uh, You're just not going to remember. Remember. Okay, so we're going to go back and we're going to remember what God has said to you, and then you're going to take your eyes off of your trajectory. You're going to take your eyes off of the now, because that is disconnected from God fulfilling his promises to you. You're going to get your eyes off the trajectory and place them back on God's promises. That's the challenge. The other challenge is, if, you, um, if you're discouraged. Now, I, I wrote it this way, if you're not discouraged, but really this is just for anybody. This is, this is for anybody. Share this message with someone who you know who's having a tough time. There's a lot of people who have have broken spirits right now because life has been rough, or because they've had they've had a rough go. And you'd be like, you know what? Just endure the weird, the weird, you know, like pictures of manuscripts at the beginning, uh, and hold on, uh, because God has got something for you here to to encourage you. Maybe you need to pass this on to somebody, guys. When times are rough, our faith can be shaken it can be shaken it can be broken but but if that's you who knows you might be on the edge of answered prayer even though things look like they've taken a sharp turn away from anything you'd ever hope for god i pray i pray for memories God, I ask that everyone who is listening to this, that you will flood their mind with memories. If if we haven't been in people who have been writing things down, God, I pray that you would be gracious and help us to recall to mind the things that you've spoken to us, even the things that we've struggled grabbing onto, especially the things we've struggled grabbing onto, your true words over our lives uh, in your word and that you've spoken to us and through people or however you've spoken to us. God, I pray that we would remember them. And God, Spirit, that you would would, um, realign our hearts from our trajectory to your promises, to your words. And God, fill us with faith again. But God, I just bless everyone's memories now in the name of Jesus to recall your words to us all. God, we need you. And we're so thankful for your power, for your goodness, for your love and concern for us and the way that you do powerfully intervene in our lives. Hear our prayers and answer in Jesus' name. Amen.